0: Amen. All right, Judges chapter eleven, uh, verses one through eleven. Uh, as we go through this book, it can be a little depressing at times because it seems that um, the chronicle of the years of these of, these, of Israel um, between the death of Joshua and the appointment of Saul as their first king really is um, a state of lawlessness. They abandon the Lord. They follow false gods. God punishes them for their sins by usually allowing their enemies to rise up over them, defeat them, enslave them. And then, after a time of enemy oppression, Israel repents. They turn back to the Lord. God raises up a judge to deliver them. And uh, they'd be set free from their enemies. And then the whole thing starts over again. You know. and the, the the spiritual climate of this whole book really can be wrapped up in the last verse it says in those days there was no king in Israel every man did that which was right in his own eyes and it's almost like we're living that out in our own <laughs> our own society today and so what's really encouraging or discouraging about this book is that we don't learn our lessons well as human beings. We, we have a tendency to repeat over and over again the same mistakes. And left to our own demise, we get ourselves in trouble again and again and over again. The positive side of this book is that God never, he threatens to, but he never abandons his people. Um, they failed him, he chastens them, but he always takes them back. Uh, he always... Uh, Here's their heart of true, genuine repentance, and that should remind us, right, that God will never forsake us, that God will never leave us, and it's because in Exodus chapter twelve it tells us the people of Israel have been purchased with the blood of a lamb, and uh, we have been purchased with the blood of His Son, the perfect lamb, and uh, He will ever stand by us. Hebrews thirteen five tells us so. While these are dark and dismal times in the nation of Israel, um, there are occasions when there's kind of a bright light in the darkness. And one of those bright lights is before us tonight. We're going to look at uh, Jephthah and uh, who he was, and we're going to be introduced to him in this passage, the first 11 verses. And hopefully what we learn about this guy in the first 11 verses will prove to be an encouragement to us, um, to each one of us, in our own walk because uh, Jephthah walked through some hard places in life. He uh, overcame a lot of hard obstacles in his life, and yet he accomplished, in the end, great things for the Lord. And so he was a man who was rejected by his own family. He was outcast by society. He was written off by everyone, basically, who ever cared about him. (laughs) And uh, yet, in the end he ends up becoming the leader of his people. So he overcomes incredible obstacles. And obviously it's with the Lord's assistance. It's not just him. And as we see, he was chosen to lead the people of Israel by the people, not by God. <laughs> and uh, that's where it gets a little dicey, but uh, that's what happened. And so Israel would repeat the, the same mistake years later, right, when they chose Saul to be their first king and uh, they rejected God as their sole ruler. And so Jephthah kind of proves a, a, an example of a mixture of spiritual and and fleshly. <laughs> I mean there's some good qualities here, but there's also some things that make his life confusing at best. And while he was not the Lord's choice as judge in Israel, the Lord apparently allowed Jephthah to lead the people to victory uh, for his own purposes. God had a plan. His plan was fulfilled using Jephthah. We don't know exactly all the details of the plan because the Bible doesn't tell us, but uh, we'll get to know a little bit about this man tonight. And so let's look at our outlines. Hopefully you have one there. And I'll just go ahead and read the first 11 verses. You can follow along in your Bibles, and then we'll kind of uh, pull out a couple points. It says, now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Uh, Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him many sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected himself, collected themselves around Jephthah and went out with him. And after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you uh, come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we turned, have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all the words before the Lord at mitzvah. So, interesting story uh, about this guy. You, you see, he he comes from kind of a, a seedy background, as the first verse points out there in living color. But, uh, he was really rejected, and that's the first point here—an appalling rejected. This is about a reject who became a ruler. And first thing we see here in verse one is Jephthah's character. He um, says that he is a mighty man or a, a mighty warrior. Uh, one translation says a mighty man of valor. That word phrase mighty mighty man or mighty warrior means that he had incredible bravery. He was known for his bravery. Uh, valor really kind of refers to strength and ability. So he was a brave, strong man who was very efficient in using his strength. And uh, he's identified as a very courageous and powerful man. And he was the kind of man who did what was needed to be done in every situation he faced in life. He was the kind of man who refused to back down. He was the kind of man who you'd like to have with you in battle to back you up. Uh, he was the kind of man that others would look to for leadership. He was strong. He was able. He was efficient. But he also had a challenge. Notice what it says there. He was the son of a prostitute. Uh, we may not think that's a big deal today in our culture, but back then that was a major deal. Uh, his father's name was Gilead, it tells us that, and apparently his father frequented many prostitutes, and one of the prostitutes became pregnant, pregnant and bore him a son named Jephthah. And this was a major strike against Jephthah as it marked him as an illegitimate son of Gilead. He wasn't like the rest of the family. And um, Jephthah had marks, in his life in the plus column. He was strong. He was a mighty man of valor. He was efficient in the way he dealt with people, but he also uh, had some minuses (laughs) in our lives. You know, none of us have all pluses. We have some negative marks as well. And he had areas of his life that were uh, extraordinary, um, while others, other areas were very problematic. And a lot of times you find that with people who are very strong leaders. You know they know how to lead very well but sometimes they can't relate to people they take a lot of people off there's bodies behind their leadership you know like a trail of bodies Uh, do they lead well sure Uh, but at a great cost and so that's kind of what we see here and we're all in the same boat none of us only have positive marks in our personality and our abilities uh, but we also have some minuses now probably most of us in the room don't go around trumpeting our abilities, you know, look at what I can do. But I would guarantee you we probably go to great lengths to conceal our problems. We don't go around telling everybody what our problems are either. And so we have to just be reminded that, you know, just like Jephthah, we're human. As long as you live in this world, you know, you're going to remain less than perfect. You're not going to live a perfect Christian life. You're not going to be a perfect person. No matter how far up the ladder of holiness you think you climb, you're still a sinner. You still need the grace of God. You still desperately need a Savior. And the minute you lose sight of that, you get into problems. And so we see here that his challenge was that he was this son of a prostitute. And you see the conflict here in verse 2. It says Gilead's wife also bore him other sons. And so Jephthah's father also had children with his real wife. And so you had the mixed family concept going on, you know, the stepchild. And when these little, uh, little brothers and brothers became older, they said, you know what, when they reached maturity, they said, you know, this Jephthah character is not really our brother. He's a step, he's from a prostitute. He's not from, from the same, same mother. And so they forced him out of the family. And apparently their father had died and they refused to share their inheritance that they rightfully got with Jephthah. And the quicker he was gone, the more they were motivated by greed to get what they wanted. And so with Jephthah out of the way, uh, there was more money to go around with the brothers. And plus, if you think about it, I mean, this is kind of like the black sheep of the family, you know, Jephthah was, he was kind of a constant reminder, probably of the rest of the family, of their father's uh, indiscretions and infidelity. And a lot of people have a hard time dealing with that. You know, you don't want, you don't want to be reminded of that every time you get together with your family. And so they, they had probably hated Jephthah all their lives. It doesn't say that, but it probably did. Uh, but they also probably envied him in a weird way because he seemed to be a very strong, able, and efficient man. Something that they obviously were not. Uh, and he was probably everything they were not, and they turned on him, jealousy in the family. They hated him because he represented everything that they could never be. And it's unfortunate because Jephthah is really paying the price, isn't he, for the, son, for the sins of his father, <laughs> You know, he's the result of infidelity in his father's relationships. And, uh, you know, his father was a flanderer, brought an illegitimate child into the world. That child lived with the stigma of his father's sins the whole life that he lived. And we forget sometimes that, uh, you know, his life, our lives, can be scarred by the actions of our our, our parents. His life was scarred by the actions of his father and his half-brothers. But at the same time, we, it's, it's good because he didn't stoop it to the same level of evil that he saw in them. Uh, he broke that cycle of sin, you would say. And a lot of times you see that in, in families. It's a kind of a valuable lesson. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, it tells us this. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions in sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. And then it says this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children and upon the third and the fourth generation. Now, that doesn't mean that God's punishing you for what your parents did. Some people teach that. That's not what that text is saying. What it does mean is that what your parents do will affect you. You know, if you grow up in a, in a home where your dad's a bank robber and a murderer, that's going to affect you. You don't have to pay for his sins, obviously. But that lifestyle is going to affect you adversely. Um, and a lot of times kids will develop the habits of their parents. They'll develop around the characteristics of their parents. They have prejudices, likes, dislikes, whatever. And they're, they're built into them by their, their parents. Um, you can see that in a lighthearted way when it comes to sport, sporting events and sporting teams. You know, if you grow up in a family that's uh just all the all they like is the Phillies. You know, the Philadelphia Phillies, that's the it's the only team that, that you've ever known. When you run into somebody that likes the San Francisco Giants, that's just like appalling to you. You just can't even imagine someone, you know, why? Because you were raised in that environment and it affects you. Unfortunately, there's also other negative ways. If your father had a, a drinking problem, well, you might be prone to that same tendency if you grew up hearing a lot of criticism or negativity you might have that same tendency if you grew up in an abusive home a lot of times people who are abusive in nature in their relationships grew up in that environment and that's what they know so someone has to break the cycle of that i mean you can't just sit back and go well this is just the way it's going to be for me and uh, just because your parents did certain things that weren't honoring to the Lord doesn't mean uh, that those things have to be part of your life as well. You can break away from that. You have an opportunity to change. There's power, there's grace, there's help in the person of the Holy Spirit, in, in Christ, in God's Word, in the church, to get us to break that cycle. Um, and, you know, that's what we have to do. We have to learn to break the cycle of sin in our families so there's help, there's hope, there's power in the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the will of God. And it's good to know that other people, even in, in Scripture, have dealt with this same problem. Think of David. David experienced the same issue with siblings, right? Um, when when Samuel came to Jesse's home to anoint one of the sons as king of Israel, they didn't even think it was important to call him in from the the uh, the fields. They didn't even recognize that he was one of the... The sons. And so he experienced that. Um, our Lord experienced it. Jesus Christ experienced. His half brothers mocked his claims to be the Messiah. Uh, they doubted his identity. None of them believed it until really after his death and resurrection, John two, or John seven two. Um, at one point, it even says his family and his friends thought he was nuts. Mark three twenty one. Said he was crazy, thought he was out of his mind. So even though your earthly family may turn against you, but if you're saved, the good news is you're part of a, a new family. You're part of God's family. And your heavenly Father will never turn you away. Your true brothers and sisters in Christ will never fail to love you, forgive you, and stand by you. And that's the, the nature of belonging to the family of Christ. You remember the song, we don't really sing it much anymore, but there's an old gospel song and it says, I'm so glad that I'm part, what? Of the family of God, right? And, and that's, that's so true, and we need to be reminded of that. Well, we see his, his character and his challenges here, but also in verse 3, look at the companions that this individual hangs out with. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers, because they were being abusive to him, and, and lived in the land of Tob. Uh, And it says, worthless or vain men, is a good translation, gathered themselves to Jephthah. Tob was located east of the Jordan River in the country of Syria, actually. And we're told that these vain men, or these these worthless fellows, as the ESV puts it, um, gathered themselves to him. It kind of refers to people who are unemployed, they're bankrupt, they're empty. They're just empty individuals. Uh, These men apparently were idle, men looking for something to fill their time. And we don't know exactly why they flocked to Jephthah, but it may be because they saw him as a leader. They saw him as somebody they could rally around. Uh, maybe they saw Jephthah as somebody who could help them with, to find a purpose in life, because it seemed like he had it together. Whatever the reason was for coming to Jephthah, the Bible tells us that they clearly went out uh with him, went out with him. Doesn't mean they went out on a date. It means that they spent time with him. Uh, he he kind of became their leader. He was a leader of this ragtag leader of misfits and outcasts. Uh, one commentator speculated that they kind of this group kind of acted like David and his men during the time that they were running from King Saul. You remember, David was surrounded by his men, and they would protect him and things like that, and they probably served as an informal security or police force. And it seems that Jephthah was able to mold these misfits, these characters, into an effective fighting force. And so he was showing himself to be a leader of men. Now, there's a couple of lessons here that we can learn, just, just quickly, from, from, from Jephthah. First of all, the point that Jephthah took a negative, his upbringing, his experience with his stepbrothers, and what did he do? He turned it into a positive. Uh, you know, he could have taken the rejection of his brothers as an indication that his life was over. I mean, his own family rejected him. What, what more do you have, right? He has no money, he has nothing. Uh, he would never amount to anything, and he could just sit under a tree and mope. Instead, he rose above, apparently, these challenges of life and made something of himself. And um, something it looks like, sometimes it looks like life is against us. We have a lot of negative things happening in our lives. Um, but if, if you believe in divine sovereignty, if you believe that, hey, there's a God that oversees all this, you know that even the worst circumstances in life, even the worst possible experiences in your life, are part of God's plan, right, to make you more like him. Psalm 33 twenty three is a, is a good good verse to read for that um, psalm thirty seven twenty three it says this um, the steps of a man are what established by the Lord when he delights in his way though he shall fall he shall not be cast headlong for the lo- Lord upholds his hand. And so, you know, the sovereign hand of God is watching over us, and when we lose a job, or we lose a loved one even, or, you know, uh, something tragic happens, get the bad health report, whatever it might be, I mean, we have to be reminded that God is sovereign over these things. And so he, he took a negative, and he turned it into a positive, and I think that was because he had somewhat of a relationship with the Lord. And then secondly, God delights in using the unusable. We see that in uh, First, First Corinthians, Chapter One. First Corinthians, Chapter One. I'll just read these for us because it's a good reminder for us. First Corinthians, one uh, twenty-six. It says, "For consider your calling, brothers." Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so that's an important lesson for us that the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given us, it's not us, it's God. It, it all, all glory goes to God, because God does delight in using the unusable. And that it, it, it really allows us to be a, a clear vessel in which God can work through. Okay? Um, the one thing that, that always kind of turns me off is when you meet someone that thinks they're like God's gift to the church. You know, like the church can't operate without them, and um, you know they're they're wanting to be used, and and they want to be used on their own on their own agenda and their own standards and everything else, and they kind of dictate to you. Well, here's what I'm going to do. You know, um, we've met a couple people like that, and some people are very bold. One guy he showed up church here after church in the fellowship Paul, he asked me, Well, you know what, I'm a teacher, when can I teach in your pulpit? I said, I don't even know you. <laughs> you know, why would I, you know, even answer a question like that? Well would next week be okay? I mean he just did not get the message, you know. Well I think I'm gonna start a Sunday school class next week. I said, Well no you're not you know and it was and he, I, I'm not questioning his his ability to teach or his, his genuine interest in being used by God, but it's like wow, you don't go about it that way. You know, I'd rather talk to somebody that says, hey, you know, have you ever thought of teaching Sunday school? I don't know if I could do that. I don't, I don't you know, somebody that maybe thinks themselves as being unusable. God will use someone like that who's humble in nature. So God delights in using the unusual. Third thing I see in his life is birds of a feather tend to flock together. Uh, people like Jephthah came to Jephthah, And uh, people of, of like interests and things like that gravitate toward those who reflect What is in their own hearts? We do that even as people, right? You you notice uh, in the fellowship time when we gather together after church, you know, there's certain tables and there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, sometimes we need to mix it up a little bit. The same people gather, why? Because they enjoy each other's company. They have things in common. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, They're people just like you. Um. And so we have to be willing to look at who we spend our time with because that really reveals what kind of people we are. Um, A lot of times people who are discontent will gravitate toward people who are discontent. People that are whining all the time, they'll hang around people that are whining all the time. Um, Conversely, if someone has a real heart for God and they want to grow in their relationship with the Lord, they're going to seek out other people that really desire that same thing. And so it really depends on who who you're spending time with. And that's why you know some of the recovery programs and things like that. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense because you're taking people with the same harmful desires and you're putting them together and say here support each other, you know. And it's it's kind of a train wreck waiting to happen a lot of times. Um, so we we just have to consider that. And then the fourth thing, rejection is hurtful, but it can also be beneficial. Rejection is hurtful. I'm sure it, it, it when when. Jephthah was rejected by his own family. It hurt, but God uses in His divine plan the animosity, the attacks of others, to build character into our lives, to build and refine our lives, to make us more like Christ. And so we just have to embrace that. You know, we don't have to sit around crying over spilled milk. Just embrace it, apparently like Jephthah did, and move on. Um, as hard as that may be sometimes. So you see the rejection. Second thing here in verses forty-eight. They have this incredible request. Now, remember, these are the people who kicked Jephthah out. (laughs) They said, get lost. And here he is living in a life in exile, kind of like a Robin Hood figure. He's protecting the Israelites. He's making the best out of his situation when his own people come looking for him. And they come to him with this really astonishing request. And uh, the cause of the request we see in verses four and five, it's under Israel once again is under attack. The Ammonites, the Ammonites are trying to take over their land. The children of Ammon were the descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot through what we'd call an incestuous relationship with one of his own daughters. Okay, so these are not good people, and in reality, they were they were cousins to the Jews. Uh, but they were perpetual enemies. And so Israel is under attack, and they don't have a strong leader at this time, remember, to guide them into victory over their enemies. And so that's the, the, the kind of the framework of why they made this request. And the elders, the character of the request, there in verse 6, the elders of his people come to him with the request that, hey, come back and be our captain. It says, come and be our leader. It means commander, chief. It means ruler over them. Um, I mean, that's just kind of crazy. I mean, they, they, they kicked him out, and now they're coming back to him, telling him, well, we want to make you chief. You know, at one point they asked him to leave. Couldn't stand the sight of him. Now they want him to come, and they're asking him to lead. What a, what a change of mind happened here. What a change of direction. And that's what happens a lot of times. You know, sometimes our call to service, when God calls us to serve somewhere, um, it may come out of the blue. It may come without notice. Um, it may come in a way that we would not even be prepared, all right? Uh, when I was in Park City, Utah, I was driving from Par- San Diego back home and stopped in Park City, Utah. I ended up spending uh, several, well, like eight months, nine months there over the winter, And uh, the circumstances, basically, where I got my second night there, I went to a Bible study on a Wednesday night. I talked to the pastor. He wanted me to go to breakfast the next morning, Thursday morning. I did, and he noticed I was, figured out I was sleeping in my car because I had no money, (laughs) and uh, it was cold, obviously, Park City, Utah, middle of winter, and um, early part of November. And he allowed me to talk to these people in the church that had a condo, Uh, complex that nobody was staying at yet because there was no snow in Park City yet. So nothing was open. So they arranged to let me stay there. And I went to church on Sunday. I showed up Sunday morning and apparently the pianist or somebody who usually played the piano was not there. And the pastor said, do you play the piano? And I said, well, yes, but You know, I I don't just, I can't do it. Like, Like, I'm not a sight reader, so I need the chords or whatever. Well, how about this? Does this, and he gave me a book, and it had the chords in it with the piano music. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do this. And lo and behold, out of that, by the end of the year, this was the first week in November, by the end of December, the pastor resigned, he went back to Georgia, and he asked me, to Teach this this small group of people in this storefront church until um, I left the end of May And that 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 was not my plan when I went to Park City Utah I just went there to be a ski bum. <laughs> you know, I mean I just wanted to kind of check out I finished Bible college take a break, but you know what God Just out of the blue called me to serve there and It was a really neat opportunity and so it's, it's a good reminder that sometimes these, these calls to leadership or calls to service, you know, are not always planned. You can't always plan it. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared to answer his call when it comes. You know, it always cracks me up when, you know, we have a need in the church. And, you know, I'll approach somebody and I'll say, hey, you know, brother or sister, you know, you think you could do this for us? And, well, let me pray about it. And I always scratch my head. It's like, what is there to pray about? You know, there's this need here. You, I wouldn't ask you if you didn't have the ability to do it. So, you know, I don't understand that. I just don't understand that. And so, you know, we have to be careful about that. We have to be willing and faithful to serve the Lord where we are, whenever he asks, not just on our terms. Um, we should never, um, we should always do his will where he has placed us. To serve, And we have to strive to learn the lessons that he wants us to teach us. And sometimes it comes through um, just a random uh, service or, or leadership opportunity. It's God's responsibility to open the doors of ministry and opportunity, but it's also our responsibility, I believe, to grow where we are planted and to trust the Lord to use us wherever we are, how he sees fit. And if we make our hearts available to him, um, he'll provide plenty of opportunities for service for God's kingdom. And when we serve him faithfully, uh, we will look, uh, you know, that God will continue to provide opportunities for us to serve. We'll look at verse 7 and 8 because it shows us the commitment of this request. Uh, he kind of, verse 7, he dials down and he says, hey, wait a minute, aren't you the guys that drove me out of my father's house? Right, he kind of considers this. He doesn't just blindly say, "Oh yeah, no problem." You know, he reminds them that they're the ones who asked him to leave in the first place, causing him probably, no doubt, great heartache, frustration, things like that. And now they want him to come back, and they want him to be their, uh, they want him to be his, their ruler. He, he's probably you know not going to trust these people just that easily. And in verse eight, they reissue their promise. That they will make Jephthah their head or their captain if only he comes back with them and delivers them from their enemies and that word There in in verse 8 Where it talks about being our head Over all the inhabitants of Gilead it means the top the supreme leader you might say the summit the chief There's nowhere else to go at that point if you're leading these people there's no further advancement and so they want Jephthah basically to come back and to take over. They want him to come back and to be their boss. And they're, they're volunteering his control over their lives. He's saying, they're saying, basically, we're going to submit to you as our leader. And uh, their, their treatment of Jephthah was sad in the beginning here. They had no use for him when things were going well. But now, when the bottom fell out, they're still using him. But they need him. And... Uh, It's a good picture, I think. I was thinking about this week. It's a good picture of how so many of us treat the Lord in our relationship with Him. You know, we refuse to be faithful. We refuse to serve Him. Um, We refuse to honor His Word, His will, or even His house, being the church. They almost treat God like an unwanted intruder into their lives. One commentator says they treat God like a spare tire. You know, he, he's in the trunk. <laughs> Just be quiet. Keep quiet. Be, stay in the trunk. We'll pull you out when we need you. Uh, and that's a shame. That's a shame that we would even treat our God and Savior that way. You know, how much better is it to walk in the, the will of the Lord each and every day? And then when the bad days come, you have the confidence that, hey, God has walked with me through all this stuff. Now he's going to continue to walk with me. But if you leave him out of your life, um, you know, God may just say, hey, you know what? You created this problem yourself. Figure it out. So it was kind of a, a crazy request that they asked. But in verses 9 to 11, Jephthah steps up to the plate. He does the right thing. I mean, I don't know how you would respond if you were Jephthah. You know, I don't know if I would respond this graciously if a bunch of yahoos came to me and after they threw me out and. Uh, you know, I probably would not respond like he did. It's an amazing response. It's a very gracious response. And so after confirming that their offer is valid, he consents to go with him. He says, all right, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll lead you to victory. Um, his treatment of them is vastly different than their treatment of him, is it not? Uh, vastly different. Even though they had abused him, they treated him like dirt Somehow, Jephthah is not bitter. He's not like, yeah, well, you guys can just go rot because I'm not lifting a finger to help you. You know, you've created major issues in my life. You kicked me out of my own house. You know, I had to go live in exile, and now you want me to help you? Yeah, right. Uh, You know, he was able to get over those things. He was able to get it moved past the things that they did to him. He was able to see past their their mean-spirited attacks and actions. And he really, we see a glimpse of the hand of God at work in his life. Um, And that will become clear as you read about Jephthah and the man that really who honored the Lord with his life. Uh, He might have been in exile from Israel, but he was never in exile from God. And, and that's an important principle for us. Unlike his, his relatives here, he proved his commitment to the Lord by how? By his treatment of others, by people who misused him and abused him. Uh, and that's really a, a direct reflection, is it not, in our own lives? Um, how we treat others is a direct reflection on the place that God holds in our heart. We spitefully mistreat and attack those who are made in, made in God's image, who are bought by the blood of the Son of God. It doesn't say much about our opinion for him because they're his children just as much as we are. But when we love him as we should, the Bible says, it gives every indication that we will uh, love others as he loved us. If you look back at uh, First John good chapter 3 1 John 3:14 He talks about uh, well look at verse 11 for this is a message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another we should not be like Cain all right he uses an example in the bible who was the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous do not be surprised verse 13 brothers that the world hates you we know that we have passed out of death into life because how we love the brothers whoever does not love abides in death everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and the one and, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him and so uh, verse 16 says by this we n- we we love That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so, when you when you stop and think of the biblical example of love for us, it goes on in, in chapter four, verse twenty, as well. Speaking of that, you know, it's really an indication of where we are with with the Lord. And so we see here that he was willing to accept and accept his his relatives' treatment of them or whatever, and move past it. But then in verse the, the the rest of the verse here his advancement it says there that the people honored their word and they elevated the re, uh, the reject <laughs> Jephthah and they made him the ruler uh, it says they made him head and leader over them and Jephthah acknowledges that it says that Jephthah uttered all these uh, spoke all these words before the Lord at mitzvah mitzvah is a place in genesis 31 um, you said well what's the what's the importance of that it was there that jacob and laban made an agreement remember the story that they wouldn't attack each other it was made at mitzvah and they called upon the lord to witness their covenant uh, and by the way that wasn't a friendly parting you know they didn't give each other a big hug they were enemies Uh, they parted as enemies, but they said, you know what, we're going to not attack each other. If you've ever heard of mitzvah coins, they're they're supposed to express friendship. Well, in reality, uh, they, they represent perpetual enemies, if you take the biblical example. And that's what Jephthah is doing here. He's calling upon the Lord to look down upon the promises that are made to him by his people. And he's calling on the Lord to watch over him as he goes into battle. Because he realizes this isn't up to him. This is up to the Lord. Um, he's acknowledging that the Lord is over all this. And he's looking for the Lord's help where he needs it to win this victory. He's not going in there saying, yeah, I'm, I got this. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, that's not, not at all. And a matter of fact, in verse, nine, or verse uh, 9, it says that Jephthah knows that any victory he might enjoy has to come from the Lord. If the Lord grant us victory, and it's the same thing for us, is it not any victories we have in our lives, whether spiritually or whatever? um, It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our own efforts. It doesn't come from our own abilities, our own gifts, our own talents. Our victories come from uh, the Lord, and we we need to be reminded that. And it comes from a, a relationship that's centered on the Lord and in the Lord, in him alone. It pays to acknowledge God in everything we do. Amen? We do it all for his glory. Uh, it, It pays us to call on him, to look to him, to trust him for the victories that we seek in life. And so Jephthah became a victor, but only because he first was a servant of God who looked to the Lord for that victory. So we see the reject became a ruler. And just some closing things here for us. Five. We all have strengths. We all have uh, weaknesses. But the Lord can use us. Can make something special out of our lives. Never feel like, well, God can't use me. You know, don't ever feel that way. I mean, I, I'm not saying go, about, go around thinking you're God's gift to the church. But at the same time, don't ever think that, oh, God can never use me because of my background or because of this. No, he can um, Matter of fact, he can use your, your weaknesses more than your strengths sometimes. Secondly, there may be a cycle of sin in our background, maybe in your family background, whatever. This is a good example to look at and say, I don't have to be like them. This, this cycle can be broken, okay, by the strength in the Lord. Thirdly, God can use us in spite of our past, uh, in spite of our past family, our failures, whatever it might be. Um, a good example of that is when you think of a $20 bill, it doesn't matter whether it's a brand new crisp bill right off the printing press, or if it's been around for 20 years. It's still a $20 bill. It still has the same value. Its value never changes. And sometimes we think that the value of somebody changes because of maybe what they've been through or, you know, the sin they've been involved in. No, if they're a child of God, they're valuable just like anyone else is valuable. Fourthly, our treatment of others reveals how we really feel about God, and you, you see that very clearly um, you can see that in uh, in reality with some of the the politicians now you know they're claiming to have this faith you know they're Catholic or this or whatever but they're they're willing to treat an unborn baby like a piece of trash and that really reveals how they feel about the creator of that quote <laughs> unborn baby or in their mind that piece of tissue or whatever they won't acknowledge it's a life and uh, it it shows you how much they really hate God and then fifthly you can and should serve God faithfully today and trust him with all your tomorrow so you know hopefully as we we're going to continue next week through this story of, of Jephthah but this is just kind of a introduction to him and hopefully you can understand that you know when you live for the Lord and you're willing to trust God, and and not just yourself, that God can use you in an incredible way uh, for his glory. And so let's close in a word of prayer, and then um, we can have some fellowship. Father, we thank you for Jephthah's example to us. Thank you, Lord, that he was willing to uh, lay aside uh, his foul treatment from his brothers and and not hold a grudge. But, Lord, he was willing to... uh, move on from that and be used by you in a way that uh, only you can use someone. And Father, we thank you that none of us in this room are perfect. We're all flawed in some way. We're sinners saved by grace. And yet, Lord, I know that many here have desires to be used uh, for your glory. And Lord, I pray that you open up opportunities and doors of opportunity for service and, and leadership. And Lord, when they uh, come about that we will willingly embrace them and walk through them even though we may feel that we're not able to lord we that we'll depend on you and you alone and it doesn't matter whether it's uh, preaching a sermon or teaching a sunday school class or uh, helping in church in any way lord uh, we should never feel like we have this on our own uh, but lord we're always dependent on you and so lord we pray that you would just uh, take us safely through the rest of the week and uh, help us to keep our hearts, our minds focused on you. And we ask your blessings and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.